Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. So glad you could be with us for this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry, and with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. This week we began looking at a message that was given by Gordon B. Hinckley titled, Keeping the Temple Holy. At the time Hinckley gave this talk to a group of priesthood holders, he was a first counselor in the First Presidency. He would later become the 15th president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. In this talk, he's using the analogy of a bank credit card and also a temple recommend, using this illustration to show that both are necessary, that one has the ability to get things of the world and the other gives the holder the ability to get things from God. Yesterday, Eric, you listed the 15 questions that Latter-day Saints are asked in order to get a temple recommend, which allows them to enter any temple that is owned by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And you and I were talking off air. I, I personally think there's a 16th question that probably should be asked. If this is all about worthiness, and a lot of the questions that are asked can be answered very subjectively. When you ask questions like, are you striving? Well, what does that really mean? The question that I think needs to be asked is a question that I asked earlier, and it's a question that I have asked many Latter-day Saints, and that is, if they were to die right now, do they have the assurance that all their sins are forgiven and they are worthy of celestial exaltation? That's a question I think should be asked at the end. Now, of course, the problem is you have a fallen member of humanity, the bishop or the stake president, whoever the ecclesiastical leader is, asking the questions. They are opening themselves up to have that question asked of them. And how many Latter-day Saints do we come across that have the assurance that all their sins are forgiven? Very few will answer yes, and usually those who have answered yes, we find by just asking a few follow-up questions, they do retract that first answer that they gave us. I think that's a good point. As you talk about subjective, when you could actually manipulate the interview, uh, you can answer these questions in the way that the bishop wants to hear it and still uh, realize you're not doing everything that's, that's asked of you. But the striving questions, of course, there's three or four of those in there. But number 15 is quite subjective. And this is the last question that's asked. Do you consider yourself worthy to enter the Lord's house and participate in temple ordinances? How are you supposed to answer that? Well, I mean, you're going to answer, yes, I consider myself worthy because I passed apparently the other 14 if I got to number 15. But sometimes I think the church wants you to go ahead and get through the questions well enough so that you can actually go to the temple. As long as you're doing well with number 10, are you a full tithe payer? There's no striving on that one. You either are or you're not. Now, one thing that has certainly been established in this series by citing a number of LDS leaders on this subject, you need to be eligible to go to an LDS temple if you have any hope whatsoever of getting into the celestial kingdom. But then Gordon B. Hinckley, using his analogy of a bank card, he says, the bank card opens the door to financial credit. 
the temple recommend opens the door to the house of the Lord. It is concerned with entry into holy precincts to do sacred and divine work. But then he says, I fear that some people are granted temple recommends before they are really prepared for them. I feel that sometimes we unduly rush people to the temple. Converts and those who have recently come into activity need a substantial measure of maturity in the church. They need understanding of the grand concepts of the eternal gospel. And of course, in this context, the eternal gospel is a reference to the restored gospel that is taught uniquely in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I don't think Hinckley meant to do this, but when I read that last portion, Eric, it sounds like he is admitting that there is an inordinate amount of immature Latter-day Saints being given temple recommends. When he says that they are granted recommends before they are really prepared for them, I have to ask the question, then why are they getting them? If the bishop is supposed to be the judge of Israel and is supposed to have the discernment to know who should get one and should not get one, why are these people slipping through the cracks when they're really not qualified to go into the temple? Well, and I'm wondering if he's thinking that there are a lot of 70% C-minus kinds of Latter-day Saints who are getting into the temple, and they're not anywhere close to those 95%ers that are doing much more. But again, I think you're right. Whose fault is it? It's the LDS Church's fault. They do have a one-year requirement. You cannot get your recommend after you convert. Well, that should be enough time to stop the drinking and smoking and start paying your tithe and all the other things that when you join the church, they're going to tell you you're going to have to do these things in order to get in there. Whose fault is it? I think it's the LDS Church's fault. When Hinckley goes on in this paragraph, he says that these people, they need to have demonstrated over a period of time their capacity to discipline their lives in such a way as to be worthy to enter the house of the Lord for the obligations there assumed are eternal. I don't think we would be doing do justice to this series, Eric, if we don't again show the stark difference between the temples of Mormonism and the temple in Jerusalem. Notice these people are expected to live lives that are worthy to go to this building, but yet that was not at all a thought of Old Testament Jews when they went to the temple in Jerusalem. They did not go there thinking they were worthy. For this reason, I think it's false for any Latter-day Saint to try to give the impression that what they do in their temples is a restoration of what was done anciently. That just is not true. But he goes on to say, For this reason, many years ago, the First Presidency determined that a convert to the church should wait a year following baptism before going to the house of the Lord. And you had just mentioned that, Eric. It was the expectation that during that year, he or she would have grown in understanding as well in capacity to exercise that measure of self-discipline, which would result in personal worthiness. Now, I want to bring out another point here. My personal worthiness has nothing to do with me personally. See, there's a distinction between Christianity and Mormonism. Am I worthy to be in the presence 
of my Savior after I die? Yes. Why? Not because of anything I did, but because of everything that Jesus did on my behalf. So while we both may speak of personal worthiness, how we get that worthiness is very, very different between Christianity and Mormonism. And that's what we call imputation, that it is Christ that credits us with righteousness that is not our own, nothing that we have done, nothing that we are doing, or nothing we will do, but rather he puts that on us, that righteousness, so that we can now be called a child of God. Well, Hinckley goes on to say that in 1833, the Lord revealed the following to the prophet Joseph Smith, and he's going to be citing from Doctrine and Covenants, section 97. The first portion that he cites is, Verily I say unto you that it is my will that a house shall be built unto me for the salvation of Zion. Now, at the time DNC 97 comes about, this is the building of the Kirtland Temple, Kirtland, Ohio. This is not talking about the Salt Lake Temple. This is not talking about the temple in Nauvoo, Illinois. This is talking about the temple in Kirtland. He goes on to cite, And inasmuch as my people build a house unto me in the name of the Lord, and do not suffer any unclean thing to come into it, that it be not defiled, my glory shall rest upon it. When I read that, I have to think, if any human goes in it, they're unclean, because all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The difference would be, is our sin taken care of? Is our sin forgiven? If a Latter-day Saint has sin that is not forgiven, would he not be an unclean thing going into, in this case, the Kirtland Temple? We could put it in modern times, going into any modern LDS temple. If that Latter-day Saint does not have his sins forgiven, he would in fact be unclean. It's not that difficult to come to that conclusion. All we have to do is go back to Alma 11 in the Book of Mormon, where it says in verse 37, And I say unto you again, that he cannot save them in their sins, for I cannot deny his word. And he has said that no unclean thing can inherit the kingdom of heaven. Well, it would make sense. If no unclean thing is should be going in a Mormon temple, then certainly no unclean thing can get into the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, how can you be saved except you inherit the kingdom of heaven? Therefore, you cannot be saved in your sins. Ask any Latter-day Saint, do you have any unforgiven sins attached to you at this moment, right now in your life? If not, then you should be qualified not only to go to the temple, but to go to the celestial kingdom. But why is it they are not so sure when you ask them specific questions like that? They don't know if they're qualified to go to the celestial kingdom. Bill, Spencer Kimball, the 12th president of the church and teachings of presence of the church, Spencer W. Kimball, page 36, said this. He cites out of the Book of Mormon, 1 Nephi 1534, there cannot any unclean thing enter into the kingdom of God, and First Nephi 10.21, no unclean thing can dwell with God. And this is what he says. To the prophets, the term unclean in this context means what it means to God. To man, the word may be relative in meaning. One minute speck of dirt does not make a white shirt or dress unclean, for example. 
But to God, who is perfection, cleanliness means moral and personal cleanliness. Less than that is, in one degree or another, uncleanliness, and hence cannot dwell with God. Wouldn't that be a great question to ask in the interview? Cite Spencer Kimball and what he just said there and say, do you have any specks on your shirt right now, based on what Kimball said? What human being could honestly say no to that question? But yet that's the analogy that Kimball uses. And this is from a manual published by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Teachings of Presidents of the Church, Spencer W. Kimball, was published by the church And Latter-day Saints are told that if the church correlates or approves of anything that's in a manual, that is like gospel truth to them. That is not just mere opinion. That is a position that the church has taken and a position that members of the church should be following if they hope to receive the best their religion has for them. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another Viewpoint on Mormonism. Pastor, could your congregation benefit from a presentation that explains the differences between Mormonism and New Testament Christianity? MRM's Bill McKeever and Eric Johnson would be honored to come to your church. Whether it's a single crash course or a weekend symposium, hundreds of churches have benefited from their fully documented and easy-to-understand PowerPoint presentations. If you'd like to schedule MRM at your church, simply write us at contact at mrm.org. Again, that's contact at mrm.org. Dot org.